What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here on a Wednesday for this week's edition of Rabbit Hole Recap with Matt O'Dell and a very special guest who brought a very special drink with him, Bitcoin Sign Guy, who's supplying the clarified milk punch tonight. Welcome to the pod. Ahoy. How's everyone doing? <laughs> it's good to be here, guys. This is a weird this is a weird drink you brought us. Yeah. You, you want to ex- you want to explain, yeah, explain this? Explain what you brought us. This concoction. So this is a clarified milk punch. It's made with port and black tea, and then uh, closer and to then your rum. But the the real trick of it is you put all of these ingredients on top of uh, milk, and then you add lemon juice, and the lemon juice curdles the milk. And it makes it coagulate into curds that then you can strain off. And so you're left with the whey taste of milk, but it's a it's a clear ruby colored drink. And so it has a creaminess to it, but it's perfectly clear and there's no lactose or something like that. Is this a traditional holiday drink? Is that I, what you made I think, it? yeah, it's a traditional European holiday beverage. So I figured... I hope it's not well, strong because it doesn't taste like alcohol at all. It's very strong. Well... Here we go. <laughs> it doesn't look like milk at all. There's no, no there's no milk looking. It looks like fruit yeah. punch. That's the curds. They're all uh, strained out through a cheesecloth. It's right. pretty cool. We learn new things every day. Learn new things. Try new experience. Just if you're a future future guest on the rabbit hole recap and you come to join us, this is you know what you're up against. It'd be nice if you if you also brought us a. A custom beverage. It's the type of uh, cultured aesthetic we're going for here. There you um, go. It's beautiful. So I'm also drinking scotch next to it, though, because I'm not I'm not fully sold on it. Yeah, not sure how the combo is going to work out towards the end of the episode, but we'll see. We'll see where it takes us. Uh, but let's get back onto the subject at hand. It's a, uh, I think the fifteenth or sixteenth edition of Rabbit Hole Recap. Uh, we We'd be killing it. The three of us attended the Soho Forum earlier this week. Uh, it was a debate between doctors. Larry White and Kenneth Rogoff. Uh, Larry White is a free banking uh, evangelist, and Ken Rogoff, uh, I guess most of the listeners of this podcast uh, would call him a statist. Uh, that is state evangelist. Yeah, state evangelist. <laughs> yes, um, but it was an inter- interesting uh, debate, and I really liked the forum and the way it went uh, going in. I was telling you guys earlier, I was like totally like down on Rogoff, obviously, because he wants to institute NERP and stuff. But, like, after he explained... He wants to like, ban cash. wants to ban cash and stuff like that. But uh, he did make some compelling arguments. Not that I agree with them, but they were uh, compelling, I could see, to some people. What did you guys think? I mean, I think his, you know... Like, I guess his arguments are decent enough, but, like... Like, cryptocurrencies make them irrelevant. Yeah, because Because they just... I don't... You know, I, I think the cat's out of the bag. They They can't stop us. Like, ideally... They would like everyone to fall in line and use a digital money that's easily trackable, that's, you know, censorable. But I, I but think also that but also that central bank digital currencies are the most direct way for central banks to apply negative interest rates. So it doesn't they could apply negative interest rates across all held money uh, in the money supply, not just deposits at the Federal Reserve. So the the sort of mechanism that he advocates here is uh in case people don't know is that when you have cash in in an economy and the central bank tries to impose negative rates people will just withdraw and flee to cash uh and it 
that dampens the efficacy mm-hmm. of the negative interest rate. And so, of course, I think that this is a lever of power that uh, central banks shouldn't have, even if it is, as he states, and I somewhat agree that it is probably the most elegant form of monetary policy. I would prefer it, uh, or I would probably predict that its efficacy would be better than, say, quantitative easing. But I still think that constitutionally, it would constitute a taking and would, I don't know, have have other issues thereof. I mean, I, the bigger issue is that, you know, Bitcoin exists. So mm-hmm. so they, they have to compete. Like the whole time he was up there making his argument, I was like, this guy is the best Bitcoin promoter there is. You know, you have people out there saying, you know, it's desirable to ban all, all large cash bills to move to a completely digital system so you can easily implement NERP and basically take your money, take your wealth. That is like, is there any better Bitcoin advertisement than that? Like, that's the best thing you could you could hear. Yeah, no, and uh, I completely agree with you guys. Uh, and to give the other half of the debate, uh, Dr. White's perspective from the free ranking perspective, you freaks will actually learn a lot more about this next week when I post the episode with Matthew Mazinxius from the Crypto Voices podcast. We went over this thoroughly. Uh, but Dr. White would argue that we should have a free banking system in which uh, private banks compete with each other and are able to uh, create their uh, own notes that are backed by potentially Bitcoin reserves in the future and they can compete on their own merits in the market uh, and people can choose which money they want to use uh, which bank they want to uh, trust um, and there was actually I learned from Matthew in Canada between I believe it was like 1816 and 1920 that 60-year period they had a true uh, free banking system and they were actually affected uh, more heavily than the US was during the Great Depression but with that being said none of their banks failed which was very interesting to me I did not know that right so I would uh, highly recommend that any listeners who are more interested in learning about these, I guess, select periods in history of extreme banking stability, uh, read you know, several of the uh, books by George Selgin, uh, the scholar at the Cato Institute. He's, uh, I guess, the leading expert on all of those. So go there if you want to learn more. Yeah. Um, no, and, that, and that's another thing I think that Bitcoin does brilliantly is has people thinking about these differing theories and these differing schools of thoughts, whereas uh, maybe a decade ago, this type of conversation wasn't happening. So uh, very encouraging Monday night. There was a lot of young faces in the crowd. Very good Bitcoin crew there. Yeah, very good Bitcoin crew too. Very Bitco- Bitcoin, Bitcoiners showed up in mass. There was developers. Pierre was there. Uh, they called out Bitcoin sign guy. They're yeah, like, we got a yeah. celebrity. Bitcoin yeah. sign guy asked the question. They recognized him. Yeah, they recognized him right away. They're like, that's the guy. That's the guy. That was fucking cool. Uh, the other thing to note is that uh, Larry White is uh, inter- important. Important. Uh, no. He's he said everything right. And I went in there actually. One of the main reasons I was going was was to see you guys. But but the second main reason I was going was to heckle Larry White. And literally, I agreed with every single thing that came out of his mouth. But like, you have to be skeptical of him because he has—he's an advisor for he, for Initiative Q, which they have his name on the website, all over the website. Uh, he didn't mention it once, but he did shill Beam, which is uh, the Grin implementation, uh, the Mimblewimble implementation. That is like more—it's a Grin competitor, but uh, it's more corporate, right? And of yeah. course, they have Larry White as an advisor to it. So, and uh, be wary a little bit. Matthew from 
or Maddie from Crypto Voices actually uh, had him on the podcast a few months ago, so was able to like walk up to him and approach him, and he asked, he like called him out on it, and uh, Doctor White's excuse was, "Hey, let a let a hundred flowers bloom." So I guess that's his perspective. Well, that's always that's the strongest the strongest altcoin founder advisor defense. Yeah, is uh, let the free market play out. Uh, I mean, that's why I'm not specifically against altcoins from an overarching perspective. I just think the individual advisors are taking advantage of dumb people. Mm-hmm. But I think from an overall market perspective, you know, let them all fucking go for it. Yeah, it's a meritocracy at the end of the day. Uh, and I would argue that we believe Bitcoin will win out in the long run. We'll see, though. Uh, back to the news items of the week. Vercoin, big 51% attack this week. There's a fourth one. Fourth one. Super deep. Matt, you are this Super is your deep. this is your bread and butter. I'll let you take this one. Well, I'm I'm glad that like people are starting to fucking wake up to it. You know, I I have I haven't shut up about this for over a year now. I mean, the market completely over just just completely disregarded any kind of change security or censorship resistance, which is the main value prop of all of these these fucking things. Uh, and I think the hash war, the the so-called hash war with Bitcoin Cash also, you know, brought it to light a lot. You know, they Bitcoin Cash ABC ended up having to institute centralized checkpointing system, which is, you know, you're just throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You're not really solving anything. Um, so with Vertcoin, they're a famous ASIC resistant coin. Um, ASIC resistance is futile. You can't trustlessly put in ASIC resistance because eventually someone will make a specific chip that outperforms a general purpose chip. This is just, that's how things are. That's the natural order of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you can make something purpose built that will outperform something general purpose. Uh, so the only way to do it is to manually uh, constantly fork out ASICs and that introduces centralization risk. That's you know what Monero has been doing. And Vertcoin because they're such a shit coin, they they were like really slow about doing that. So supposedly people think that some ASICs were made and uh, because most ASIC manufacturers would never make a vert coin ASIC because they're afraid it's going to get forked out. They don't have like vital, they don't have true competition there with ASICs. It was like super trivial for them to get 51% attacked and, and, and basically money gets stolen from exchanges in that, in that case. So any... Any exchange that has, uh, you know, has has weak chains connected to it, and no KYC because that's important can can get exploited. From yes, these kind of. These so our boy uh, at Aw Storms on Twitter actually uh, tweeted out this scenario, which is creating an anon account on insert anon exchange here or exchange without KYC here. Send all coins, market by Bitcoin, withdraw Bitcoin, fifty one percent deep reorg whatever altcoin you originally sent. Uh, and you basically get your money back and yeah, I mean the Bitcoin for free. The big one you would attack in the day would have been Shapeshift, but now they have KYC. So now it's basically Binance. You know, Binance gets around it a little bit because they have pretty stringent limits if you have a non-verified account. I think it's like two Bitcoin you can withdraw per day. Mm-hmm. So like if you're trying to do a sizable attack, like that's going to end up being pretty expensive. If you did it to someone like Coinbase... They literally have your address, well, right? Like your home address. Well, they could just go to your house and be like, dude, you just stole a bunch of money from me. 
Well, this brings up an interesting point about Bitcoin attack vectors, and a lot of people allude to the possibility of a future state attack on Bitcoin in particular. But uh, what we're finding with these types of scenarios is it might be an easier attack vector for the state to go after these exchanges via these reorg attacks, uh, basically bankrupt the exchanges and disrupt the on on and off ramps if they wanted an easier way to attack Bitcoin instead of attacking it directly. I mean, there's... Look, I think the exchange that probably right now has the most ire of the U.S. federal government is BitMEX. Mm-hmm. And BitMEX solves it quite elegantly. They only allow Bitcoin deposits and withdrawals, and they only process them once a day for withdrawals. Mm-hmm. So they have a very simple process. It's only dependent on the most secure chain, and that attack vector is is you know very limited to them it's more it's more like these shitcoin bucket shops that are that are that would be risk. vulnerable to yeah. that type of attack it's a little chilly this time of year in new york should we take a field trip to the seychelles <laughs> <laughs> i think we should i don't have a case to bring but uh, i'd definitely go you have no case you have no business in the seychelles where is the Seychelles? It's like the it's eastern off. coast of africa e- right? yeah east coast of africa it's it's also near where uh if you play Metal Gear Solid Five, the uh, snakes base, the Diamond Dogs, they're off the coast of the Seychelles. <laughs> That's probably where Arthur got it from. Yeah, absolute, absolute closest thing to Ancapistan right now. We're gonna get yelled at for uh, for levels. Make sure you're bringing the mic close to your face. Oh, but this is true. Um, another. You had so many uh, audio audio files who listen to your show. Yeah. Uh, very sensitive subject on this podcast in particular. Bitcoiners are maximalists in all different sorts of of hobbies and shapes and sizes. This is true. Uh, staying on the Vercoin story, too, to get back on topic, Zuku uh, ruffled a lot of feathers today, uh, saying this is a serious problem. Nakamoto consensus is failing. POW is dead. Uh, Vercoin is currently being 51% attacked, uh, and he's trying to conflate all of PW to to Vercoin being susceptible to an attack, which I don't agree with. And there's an argument to be made that even though Vercoin got 51% attack, uh, Nakamoto consensus did not fail. Yeah, I'm a little bit... I mean, first of all, Nakamoto consensus is working exactly like designed. Exactly. Uh, you know, I'm a little torn because like, I've been screaming from the rooftops that people aren't taking security seriously. And, you know, because of Vercoin, Zuku's finally seems to be taking it seriously. So I'm happy about that. Um, of course, the human condition is the second you take something seriously, you go to the full fucking extreme and just say nothing is secure. You know, these are false equivalencies. Like it's infinitely more difficult to attack Bitcoin than it is to attack Vercoin. It is even infinitely more difficult to attack Zcash than it is to attack Vercoin. And the difference between Zcash and Bitcoin is also infinite. So there's like a very, there's a lot of fucking nuance here. And uh, putting my conspiracy hat on for a second here, uh, Zuku uh, is the leader of Zcash, a project which is pretty contingent on its uh, founder reward or dev reward that's baked it's into a founder its, reward. Founder reward baked into its uh, block reward. There's a lot of speculation that they would like to increase or expand or uh, extend that founder's reward further into the future than was previously. Uh, accounted for uh, and if they're not able to do that uh, basically another way to create the re- revenue uh, that is produced by the founders reward would it be to transition to proof of stake and become a main staker in the network and then they can maintain the and and besides that this whole time 
Zuku has been part of this war against ASICs where they don't explicitly say that they're going to fork out ASICs, but they have all these conversations with, oh, we want it to be GPU friendly. Oh, maybe proof of stake. Oh, maybe we'll change the reward. Maybe we'll do... And all these things discourage security spend on your network. They discourage people from making more ASICs. You, there's a critical point there in the beginning where you need multiple manufacturers to come in and produce ASICs. Otherwise, you end up in a super centralized situation. And... Um, I, I just think he's been very hypocritical in that regard because he hasn't taken it seriously with Zcash. And then all of a sudden, you know, some shitcoin, you know, Vertcoin gets attacked that has basically no action, no activity on it. And now he's like, it's just like completely dead. So it does kind of feel like a POS shill. And then the other thing is the weakness for Zcash isn't Nakamoto consensus. The biggest, if you're talking about state resistance, the biggest weakness for Zcash is that Zuku and the whole Zcash company can be thrown in jail if they don't fucking comply. And all the investors, Barry Silber and all the rich investors, they can just get fucking thrown in jail. They're the weakness. You know, I I I think I think Zcash is questionably secure to begin with with just, you know, POW, but I think it is completely Way more weak that is in terms of by social, oh, yeah, their organizational structure, right? Like, it yes. makes it is the is way weaker than the actual the POW because at least they have ASICs, yeah. BSG, the fact thought, that they have ASICs is big. Any thoughts on the subject? Well, things that are valuable usually require sweat equity to be invested. I think that, uh, if you have an aversion to proof of work, you might be the type of person who thinks that. In the Soviet Union, your job would be anime appraiser. <laughs> oh, I fucking love you. Cheers. <laughs> and that was uh, that was talking Verkoin. So, hey, just be aware. These weak chains can be attacked. They are being attacked, and I only expect these attacks to continue and increase in the future. But you mentioned a uh, Barry Silbert. I saw. Today, I think that Grayscale now has two hundred and ten thousand Bitcoin. Thank you for bringing in their in their coffers. I mean, that's that's ten percent of the one percent. Excuse me. Yet, thank you for clarifying. (laughs) (laughs) Running away with the math here, but uh, that's that's a lot of Bitcoin. That's one percent of the future maximum supply, and uh, I guess that would give them an incentive to change Bitcoin to proof of stake. But I guess that's not on the table yet. Uh, yeah, we, we, there is a big discussion to have around the ethics of how much coin these funds hold. Well, I mean, first of all, like Bitcoin's not moving to proof of stake. Wait, 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 wait. I guess my, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we debate that. My right. question is more is, is that, is the fact that they hold that much Bitcoin a vulnerability? Where is the, if there is a vulnerability in that, you know, let's let's freaks. I'm sorry for the levels. I know you're going to complain. Like I'm looking at. We them. only we have two mics and we're passing the mic in between me and BSG. So I apologize. Yeah. No, but that I am uh, Bitcoin saying I'm happy you brought that subject up. It, it is an important one. One percent of the whole Bitcoin supply is now owned by uh, Grayscale Investments. Well, I think the better argument is is that these types of funds are going to exist no matter what. It mm-hmm. makes sense from an efficiency point of view. You know, you have one person custodying it and everyone gets to trade it on their 
TD Ameritrade account or whatever the fuck they want to trade on. So it's going to happen no matter what. Also, custodial exchanges, no matter what, going to hold a shit ton of Bitcoin, like Coinbase and stuff. So the real question is, if you're a proof-of-stake proponent, are you comfortable with these funds, you know, being major, you know, major elements of the security of your chain? Do you, Are you comfortable with these funds having, like, actual direct influence? Because I don't think, I personally don't think they have much influence over the direction of Bitcoin because it's proof of work and not proof of stake. I think Segwit2x proved that, you know, there was plenty of opportunities for us to do some kind of stakeholder vote type of situation that Ethereum did when they pushed through the Dow fork with only 5% of the vote. But um, we didn't. Everyone was against that, even the major Bitcoin stakeholders. And I think that it was a it was a big turning point where it doesn't matter how much Bitcoin you own. That's not, you know, where you get where you get the say in the network. Yeah, very good point. Um yeah, so be aware of that as well, freaks. Uh, very interesting news. Uh, that's and that's also the, good news, the, I think. I would say that GBTC owning you know one percent of the supply is probably good news because it's the only exchange traded um, thing for Americans, really, except for the ETN, which is like kind of around the side. You know, it's not legit as much. Yeah, for Americans. Yeah, like then, I don't uh, think it's available as and on men as in, on as many platforms. A lot of Bitcoin by New Yorker uh, held by New Yorkers. Uh, Winklevi, they have one percent too. Wasn't that their goal back in the day to get to one percent of all Bitcoin? Could have been. I think I mean, I'm pretty. I think, sh- th- I think their goal is just to dunk on Zuck. So <laughs> whatever amount of Bitcoin they need to hold to get to that level, I I hope they make it. <laughs> um, you got this. You got this, Winklevi. Actually, yeah, Facebook's fucked, man. Have you been reading what's going on there? Fuck Facebook. We're not man. gonna we're not gonna dive too much into that subject. Delete Facebook. Facebook. I just wanted to say. I know that. we're a little bit hypocritical with Twitter, but when you use Twitter, you should use a NIM and not show your name and shit. And also, I know we're hypocritical about that as well, but not Bitcoin Sign Guy. So he's got that going for us. And and as far as we're concerned, you know, we're doing it for you guys. Yeah, um, taking one for the team. Next subject, uh, we're gonna go from Bitcoin and crypto specific to macro. Uh, we've talked about this before in the past. I've talked about this in Marty's Bent many times in the past, but the growing trend of countries looking to denominate their oil's future contracts in their native currencies. Uh, we've talked about China and Russia creating energy deals between each other with uh, oil contracts based in yuan and rubles. Uh, it seems that the Eurozone, uh, the ECB or the Euro Council, whoever makes these decisions for them, uh, is looking to do the same. They would like to uh, have oil contracts based in the Euro too. Arbed out was tweeting about this today. Um, so this is just like a growing trend that I think is a huge macro development to pay attention to, especially if you're a Bitcoiner, because uh, basically the petrodollar underpins the US dollar as the reserve currency of the world. And when you have a scenario in which uh, the reserve currency is in question, uh, typically throughout history, the safest uh commodities that just so happen to double as money are apolitical so gold and, and there's an argument to be made that now bitcoin exists and could be that vehicle as well yeah well not to not to change the subject but in macro terms bitcoin faces probably its most important test uh coming up which will be when uh the economy as it's currently you know cooking along eventually takes a correction Will Bitcoin be a will it will it trade counter to, I guess, whatever impending 
market correction we have. So we're sort of laying the groundwork for Bitcoin to be able to pump in spite of this, but everyone will need to buy Bitcoin when stock market starts tanking. Jill uh, Carlson had a good thread about crypto in general being a canary in the coal mine for a impending macro crisis, but... Yeah, well, form your own opinions on this. Yes. And I actually think Pierre had a very, very good take on this. He tweeted out yesterday or two days ago, I believe my contrarian view. Bitcoin is not a risk on reach for yield asset, nor is it a risk off safe haven asset. Those are just two of many narratives. Bitcoin sits outside of that dichotomy as a growth currency with an exchange rate driven by endogenous properties and adoption drivers, which I thought was a very good explanation. I mean, we have our own cycle. Bitcoin has its own cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, you know, so it depends on, on on when these macro events hit Bitcoin in its own cycle, right? Like if we're overextended and we're in a bull market and all the shitcoin and EOS is trading at $18 and Multicoin's giving out a bullish thesis that they're pretending that didn't exist now. Are they um, really? Yeah, yeah, they were short the whole time and they, they made bank. Um if if you're in a if you're in a bull cycle and you're overextended, like the price will will probably come down and come down harder than usual, you know. And and it, and if you're in a bear cycle and sellers are exhausted, you know, then then maybe Bitcoin doesn't get affected as much in these kind of risk off scenarios. I mean, I would be hesitant to. Um, I mean, you you mentioned the the Jill Carson uh, thread and and I would be. Carlson. Yeah, I I would be hesitant to uh, to to say that we're a canary in the coal mine. I mean, I I think I think Bitcoin had a blow off top that it's had, you know, the last three times, and that that's what happens. You know, I I don't I'm not sure if the macro situation had that much of an effect this time around. I, I'm simply saying that Bitcoin's reputation will be determined in the next macro cycle where people discover whether it is truly a risk on or risk off mm-hmm. asset. And if and if that we can get the fundamentals to the point where Bitcoin can move counter to the macro cycle, then you know, all the all the better for us. Yeah, no, it's a good uh it's a good sort of shining beacon in the future to aim towards and and, and this was something uh actually a good point to bring up. I say this a lot on the podcast and in the newsletter is that my biggest uh, gripe with the space in particular is the the collective impatience. Everybody wants everything out of the box. There is a caveat to that. Like you have to you have to balance the impatience with the need for a certain sense of urgency to build out uh, these tools and make them so that they're uh, they have strong defenses against outside attackers. Yeah, we also we have to be in a rush, but also patient. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. Which is. Uh, yeah, a lot of you freaks might yell at me for saying, like, what the fuck, Marty? You've been telling us to be patient the whole time. But I, I, there is some nuance where, yes, there is a certain amount of urgency that you should be uh, thinking about as well. Agreed. Yeah. You want to be preemptive. You want to be thinking through, like, all the different scenarios. Uh, you know, I remember uh, a couple months ago, you know, now we're talking about if someone can rent hash rate on nice hash for like $800 and 51% attack your shitcoin. Like it's this big revelation that didn't exist. Like eight months ago, six months ago, when we attacked Syria, when the US government attacked Syria and we launched 130 cruise missiles at them or whatever it was, I was like, 
can your chain handle 130 cruise missiles? Like these are things that people we should be thinking about. Like we should be building for the future where you need to be resistant to that, you know, that level of of kind of attack. Mm -hmm. So uh, fun fact, those cruise missiles were actually Tomahawk missiles. And a week ago, less than a week ago, I went with my grandfather who was in the Air Force to the commissioning of a new Arleigh Burke class destroyer in Boston Shipyard. And I saw those Tomahawk missile cells. So uh, I can... I can say that I've I've seen them recently and they're they're all ready to go and uh yeah the just, just the struggle is real they exist no, as it's they fucking, say it's crazy well, man I'm glad you're assessing our threat model for us no we, I mean, we appreciate that and a lot of people are like oh you guys are fucking crazy paranoid but this is the type of uh mentality that you have to have and as a bitcoiner you should have if you actually care about so-called open finance and you know censorship resistant networks state resistant networks like this is what you have to talk about like you can't have a like a a decentralized financial global network and allow one country to be able to take you know easily take it down Mm -hmm. yeah i guess it comes down to uh how far are you willing to go to keep the bitcoin network operational so it may be a counterfactual but for example if the uh, government is going to start kicking in doors uh, f- where IP addresses are located that have Bitcoin nodes running. You know, what do you do in that situation? Get a get a safe house. You know, start stockpiling. <laughs> also, yeah, never never have your whole uh, never have stash. your whole stash of uh, uh, you know bug out stuff at your primary residence. Go uh, listen to Jameson Lop. Get a get a secondary location that you can retreat to. You'll always be taken by surprise the first time. You know, go uh go make a standoff like a Bundy standoff on your Bitcoin node elsewhere. Don't do it at your <laughs> primary residence. Oh, you're incredible. I'm glad we had you here. <laughs> um, well, staying on this sort of type macro topic, uh what's going on in Paris. I said this earlier this week, like Paris, obviously the Paris riots, the yellow vest movement, the yellow jacket movement, whatever uh, you want to refer to it as. It seems as though uh, Macron's presidency is not going as well as planned for him. They have precipitously raised taxes and it seems like the middle class is revolting. Uh, We actually found a picture of one of those yellow vest uh, re-memeing Bitcoin sign guys (laughs) me and buy Bitcoin in the middle of the protest. There's only one thing I have to say to those uh, protesters, and that's uh, let them drive electric. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Yeah, whether uh, Macron is a Latter-day Marie Antoinette TBD, but I certainly would love to meet the guy who wrote by Bitcoin on his yellow vest. So how does it feel to see your meme spreading? I it feels it feels good man it feels like uh I wasn't I wasn't alone doing it I don't know I I would encourage more people if you're if you're at a pivotal moment in history <laughs> just consider well let's talk about this so I brought this up earlier I'm not trying to directly analogize this to the Arab Spring but it has a very similar feel where it seems like a, a group of people in a particular 
section of the world are very uh, unhappy with their government and the people leading them. Uh, I think the camel, the straw that broke the camel's back this time around was a was a price rise in the gasoline taxes in particular, which forced the truck drivers to protest and sort of tumbled from there. And the Arab Spring, uh, some people would argue, I mean, it's a, the last a, a snowflake to fall in an avalanche, but that was commodity prices rising there as well in the form of wheat. Uh, obviously, there's going to be two different outcomes to these uh, uh, movements, but it's very similar, like fever, and it seems to be spreading in Europe in particular. I've heard stuff in Italy and Greece as well happening. So it's just an interesting, tumultuous period of history right now. Well, I guess the theme, and you know, the people that write for The Economist like to you know, hold it with a, a gloved hand at a distance and say, oh, it's it's populism, and they talk about it like it's some virus but uh i would say i would say overall it's a realization that there won't be a one-size-fits-all globalist formula for how uh, you know societies should be run and uh i guess right now this is manifesting in the breakdown of the european project can i add something no yes of course you can. i mean so i would say i i there's two things I have to say. First of all, the French are very good about rioting. So, like, let's not, you know, we'll see how this see unfolds. somebody hit a, a long knife and a baguette? I see didn't, that? but that is that was that was passed down from generation to generation. But one sec. Anyway, my my point is is that it's good to see that they're rioting. I wish I wish Americans were more apt to do that when we're not trying to incite a riot on on rabbit hole recap here, people. And then the second thing is. Uh, we that was an interesting. Uh, I think it was the editorial we were reading where they were talking about, um, you know, Macron is childless, and like how many leaders in in Europe are childless, and they they don't childless, yeah, not childish, no, not childish, he have children, yes, childless, he has not, yeah, child not. lacks no children. Isn't he married to like a seventy year old? He's married to his teacher, yeah, um, and. I think Merkel doesn't have kids. None of them. Right. Uh, uh, May doesn't have kids in uh, Great Britain. Mm-hmm. Theresa May doesn't have kids. And they like went through like Jean a bunch Claude, of the... Jean-Claude Juncker. Mm-hmm. Jean-Claude Juncker, the head of the uh, European uh, yeah, Council. I, I think he's uh, bare branches as well. So, yeah. In case you didn't know, you know, Bitcoin is pro-natalist. <laughs> no, I just think you should have skin in the game. Like, I feel like the incentives are are misaligned there. If you if you don't have like future generations that that you care about directly in your bloodline, uh, very interesting point. A very uh, it's, it's again, it's a social aspect. Uh, humans are weird, and we have very weird tendencies, and we should be very hyper cognizant and hyper uh, alert of how we organize ourselves and the amount of control of our individuality that we give over to the state. And just that it, I think it's pretty cool that like now we have the option to opt out nonviolently. If you don't trust your government with your money, with your wealth, you can you can buy Bitcoin and hold, hold Bitcoin now. Yeah, great tweet by Pierre. I think he most recently pointed it out that you know, we have hash wars now, whereas we had trench warfare a hundred years ago. So yeah. steady improvement. I mean, but I would argue that the future hash wars are going to involve guns and missiles and destroyers and Probably. all that stuff. Well, hopefully we get to a point where it's decentralized enough where the uh, the 
the cost of attack is so much, uh, or not even that it's so much that it would be a pyrrhic victory at at some point. You don't think nations will go after uh, go go to war over shit coins? <sighs> I don't know. Oh God! Hopefully, I mean, these are nation incompetent nations. Like I think we're going to beat them in the in the the playing field of meritocracy. I don't think they're going to be able to create a competitor that's even worth fighting over. I think the the real thing is the game theory between nations the prisoner's dilemma of you know nations that aren't the u.s that have lesser stake in the monetary status quo would be incentivized to you know harbor bitcoin nodes and miners in their country uh instead of you know they they would be willing to sacrifice having their own sovereign currency to at least you be on the leading edge of the Bitcoin wave and you benefit from that. So I see Russia and China probably as being the two countries that, you know, they're sort of aggressively authoritarian in this moment, but if they could be the first two to prop up Bitcoin and benefit thereof, I think that they would, uh, I think that they would take that trade off. Yeah. We actually had a, Carpe Noctum gave us an update on, I mean, you can go to Coindance and check this, but he brought it to our attention. The local Bitcoin volume in Venezuela is on the rise again. I, I think it hit its highest uh, volume day last week. Yeah, and a lot of those people are corrupt government individuals. That's true. I mean, and the other thing is you look at, let's look at something like people love comparing cryptocurrency to the internet, right? So, so people said that the internet was going to be the downfall of these authoritarian regimes, uh, specifically China, but then also later Russia, uh, when, when we realized that you know the 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 wall the wall falling wasn't as big of a deal as people thought it was, and they were receding back into authoritarianism. Um, they they not only did the internet not destroy their societies because people said it was going to open up information and everything, they leveraged it to make themselves more powerful. You know, like China is a fucking expert at it. Russia is is pretty good. It's not as good as China, you know, but they're pretty fucking good at leveraging it and, and using it to control their populace, to control other populaces. And uh, it's in their self-interest to do that with Bitcoin as well. Yeah. No, that's beware. That's uh, beware. it's something that uh, it, it exists and it's it's a heavy, it's a heavy uh, realization to come to and have that conversation with yourself. Is it worth it? I think in the long run it is. Um, but we should also be, again, cognizant of the social and technical attack vectors and take that deeply into consideration. When it, when it comes to nation states, they have to either adapt or die. This is true. Um, away from the macro, back to the technical. Uh, Pierre, who we've been talking about uh, pretty frequently throughout this podcast, is builder, too. He's like a very good commentator, and he's building shit. He built... Uh, uh, basically, a, a node package. Would you say it's pretty cool? Yeah, explain it. You've been playing around with it. I have so, not. Yet. I don't have a Windows computer. So I yeah. So we've it. been talking about um, the at home nodes, you know, the the Casa node and the the Noddle dot it, where it's just a plug and play node that you plug into your router. Um, Pierre's idea is let's make it as simple as possible for you to use your own computer to uh, run both a Bitcoin full node and a Lightning node. And he created this one-click launcher that we'll link to in the show notes. And I, I played with it this weekend because I wanted to test it out. So if, if you guys have any issues or whatever when you try and use it, you can ask me for help. If I can't help you, Pierre is happy to help as well, uh, which is also really fucking cool. And props to him for that. 
Um, so basically, it installs it installs a Bitcoin node for you, full node. It installs uh, LND, so you have a Lightning node, and then from that point, I can I, I installed Zap, which is Jack Mauler's uh, Litecoin. I mean Litecoin, Z- Jack Mauler's Lightning wallet, and um, fucking slick. This wallet was like super super fucking slick. And I opened a couple channels with that, and then I connected it to uh, Jewel, which is that internet exten- uh, that that browser extension we talked about. And then I went to Satoshi's place, and I was able to successfully pay with my own Lightning node. Thanks for pumping um, the pod. <laughs> all through that, and it was fucking. It was. It was. It is very close. We're closer than people realize. It is still. Most people might have one or two troubleshooting issues. You know, we'll help you work through that. But the vision is there. You know, once you have that all set up, which Pierre made as easy as possible right now, and it's going to only get easier as he refines it and as, you know, we troubleshoot things. Uh, Once you have that set up, it's just two clicks. I literally just, I went to Satoshi's place. When When it gave up my charge, I just click, you click the QR code. And it just the extension automatically reads it. It just pops up, and then you press OK, put in your password, and you're good to go. What did you draw though on Satoshi's place? Oh, I, I pumped the pot. I, I put a, a TFT. Oh, I oh uh, this is why I had um, I forget what the term is, but I said Litecoin instead of Lightning. Was, Freudian slip was Freudian slip because I did two things when I went on to Satoshi's place. They had uh, Charlie Lee's. Uh, that meme of Charlie Lee where he's like the Litecoin uh, Star Wars guy or whatever. I don't mm-hmm. know, like the anime, the magic internet friends. Yeah, yeah. So I X that out and then I wrote TFTC.io on top. That was my contribution. Uh, you Bitcoin terrorist. And it was pretty cool. <laughs> it was the future. I felt like I was in the future, you know? Yeah. No, no. Like you said, two clicks. And. Like I said, after attending the BitDev meetup, you were not at the meetup when you demoed. No, right? I miss. I was playing tennis. Yeah, it was like magical. We won the match. And like it was you important. said, we're very close. Yes, it's not perfect yet, but you can. The vision is there, and it's just refining and iterating on the vision. I had it under my fingertips. Like I literally did it right, and I didn't have to trust anyone. That's so fucking cool. I think you know it's fucking dope. Jewel's really cool. Yeah, we all need ways to automate our podcast feuds. <laughs> <laughs> It's actually uh, going into Anchor. The uh, the hosting are, are very uh, generous and uh, uh, I would say forward thinking uh, podcast hosting service. Uh, going in tomorrow, talk Bitcoin with them. We'll see how it goes. Um, yeah, so definitely check out Pierre's uh, node launcher. Test it out. Hook it up to Jewel. Hook it up to Zap. Hook it up to whatever you can. Yeah, we're gonna put the guide. We'll put the guide in the show notes. You have any issues? Let us know. It's on Mac, Windows, uh, Linux. I, I I've done it on both Linux and Windows, so I can help you out with that. Oh, I didn't know it was on Mac. I would have tried it out if I knew it was on Mac. Yeah, I, I intentionally booted up an old Windows box just to do the whole thing on Windows, so I could walk three people through it if I need to. And I just wanted to say thanks to all these people that like made this happen: Jack Maulers, Willowburn, uh, Pierre. Uh, Lightning Koala for Satoshi's Place. Like, you guys are the real MVPs. That's pretty fucking badass. Shout out to the true MVPs out there. We're always thinking of you. Um, Matt, give us a Wasabi UX update. What's going on? It's cool. It's cool. They made it nicer. 
you yeah. know we have a we Actually, have a telegram chat where we all reduce the anonymity set by talking about it together <laughs> and we have been working through the ux and the ux is much more user friendly i think this is the type of wallet that don't be scared guys it is it is you know i want us all to have a lightning node on our computers and a bitcoin full node but that previous segment might be a little bit more intensive for some of you guys. Wasabi's not. You literally just install it. There's no syncing. You put a little bit amount of Bitcoin in there. You know, you have to put in at least 0.1 and it makes it it makes it more private for you. Uh, it 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 helps hide blockchain analytics. You can't like it makes it much more difficult to connect uh, your transactions and you pay them a, a very small fee. And it's, it's set up in a trustless way. So so even if they're compromised, they, they can't take your privacy. Yeah. And I think it's important. So you if whenever you whenever you take money from an exchange, it's connected to your name and address and stuff. You use Cash App, you use you know, don't use Coinbase, but you use Coinbase and then and you pull your Bitcoin out. That Bitcoin is that Bitcoin transaction is forever connected to your name and your ID and all this other stuff. And any other transactions you make along the way will always be tracked based on that initial. Um, you'll have plausible deniability, but but they'll have a pretty good idea. And so Wasabi breaks that connection. So you transfer to Wasabi and then, and then oh, someone mentioned this on Twitter. Right now, you can't directly withdraw from Coinbase or, Wasa- or, or Cash App directly to Wasabi. Because Wasabi uses the new address standard, which is BEC32. So you have to withdraw to either Trezor, Electrum, or Samurai. And then you send it to Wasabi. And then Wasabi will end that connection. And then from Wasabi, you can send it to cold storage or your hardware wallet or wherever. Yeah, and I can say with a certain uh, amount of certainty that I I believe Cash App has BEC32 on on the roadmap. yeah, r- rumor is it's coming, guys. Yeah. Um, so just be on the lookout for that. Uh, death spiral. Big topic of discussion for the last week. I'm fucking sick of it. Uh, let's just hit it quickly. You you describe uh, what people are assuming uh, may happen in a death spiral scenario and why the difficulty adjustment in Bitcoin's incentives may prevent this. The death spiral is a fear that people have been proclaiming about for over a half decade now. And the idea is that the price falls so quickly that miners stop mining because it's not profitable. And then we have either no blocks being uh, mined or we have very uh, few and far between blocks being mined. Um, The difficulty adjustment is literally there. So that doesn't happen. Um, You know, every 2016 blocks, it self adjusts either down or up based on how much hash power there is. Um, to make it, if, if hash power is going down, if hash rate is going down, price is going down, then, then the difficulty makes it more profitable for the existing miners that still exist there. And then they find an equilibrium. Yes. And the, the, the notion that every miner is going to turn their miner off at a certain price point is naive. I would say to a certain extent, the worst notion is, is people that try and pretend that there is a price point because there isn't. Every miner has different fucking costs exactly. and different situation that they're in. Exactly. So, like, imagine being a miner just expended a bunch of capital and you just so happen to turn them on, like, the last two weeks. Like, you're not going to turn your miners off and lose that. Right. Investment. Or there's people that are mining because it's the most censorship-resistant way to get to get Bitcoin. 
Um, you know, like it's way, yeah, it's way easier to, to get Bitcoin from mining and you can even get it anonymously, um, where you can't do that if you have to buy from an exchange. Yeah. There's, there's two, there's two critical points. One being the cash break even, whether you're literally making money on every, you know, Bitcoin that you mine. And then second, whether all inclusive, your ROI is positive or negative. So you could have a negative ROI, but have positive cash, cash, and it would still be in your best interest of mine because you would want to recoup your your ROI, your initial investment. Yeah. And also, you know that that critical number, you could uh, you could just take a value approach to that and say, okay, well, I think fair value for a Bitcoin is over a million dollars. And if you've, you know, budgeted for that ahead of time, you know, yeah, who's to who's to say that you're mining unprofitably? <laughs> Those are some fun books. Um, I, I like to value Bitcoin at a million dollars. That's what I use for my own personal holdings. You bear. <laughs> um, no, had, but I the, there's there's a couple oh, other things. Oh, I had another thing to add. Yes. And then these miners, they have instruments through which they can hedge. Right, we have their the shorts. They could hedge their investments in the financial markets. Like. So the people on the other side say they use they use the secondary markets as an argument for why the game theory is broken, and they say you know the miner doesn't care about destroying the network because he can short it at the same time. But then they completely disregard the use of shorts to hedge price risk, which you know smart miners will be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really great that we have a more mature ecosystem in that regard you could actually use regulated shorts now you know you don't have to just use bitmex or okay casino uh and then the other thing is miners only get paid after 100 blocks it takes 100 blocks for their their coinbase uh reward to mature so they're incentivized to continue the system they have locked up return that's also locked up to get to the next difficulty adjustment um you also have in in a worst case scenario, you have two things happen. You have fees will build up because blocks are slow. So either people trying to dump because they think Bitcoin's in a death spiral will be using really high fees to um, send to exchanges. But you'll also have that in combination with probably rich Bitcoiners sending high fee transactions almost as a bribe to get miners to get us to the next difficulty adjustment. And then in some kind of worst case scenario, even worse than that, we could we could fork and change the difficulty down if we absolutely had to and that is not an ideal situation and we will probably never have to do that but it's important to say that because every single person complaining about the current state of affairs is advocating for a fork to change it so no matter what like your solution is going to require a fork so in the worst case scenario, we can actually do that and we can change the difficulty adjustment. It's not an issue. Yeah. And all these arguments neglect the historical precedent that is uh, there were miners for two years uh, when Bitcoin had no value. And there have historically been uh, sort of ideological miners like Slush, for example, that have uh, seen themselves as arbiters of the network and will provide this hash rate at a loss. I think I think the market price for Bitcoin on exchanges is simply a thermometer of what people think Bitcoin is worth. Just because the price on the exchange says $2 in some kind of freak incident 
doesn't mean that people worldwide are valuing Bitcoin as such. And it'll be a short blip if 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 that if it if that kind of because this is the situation they're talking about is like a 95 percent drop, you know, within 10 minutes. Yeah. You know, and just like absolute chaos, fucking chaos. Yeah. Yeah. And then they don't think about cruise missiles and shit. So like, (laughs) why? Why is all of a sudden now we're thinking, you know, death spiral is not going to happen. Um, so that's that's what we got on the death spiral. Uh, but staying on mining in particular, CoinShares put out some Bitcoin mining research recently. Uh, Bitcoin Sign Guy was alluding to it with the, the, the different types of costs that these operations have. That was one piece. And then they did another piece on breaking down the energy uh, consumption, the types of energy that Bitcoin miners are using. Uh, I will caveat this with I, I, I don't know how how much I agree with the final numbers they came to. I think they're, they're in, I love the numbers. The numbers yeah, are fantastic. The numbers, Huge support of the, the numbers, numbers are something like 77% of Bic, of energy used to mine Bitcoin is renewable energy. It's probably renewable energy. It's, it's probably. Yes. But there, uh, there are some, uh, there are some people that are questioning the, uh, the, the methods of the study, but, but you have some, some, but even if points. it's, even if it's, even if they're off by 50%, like 25% is still fucking badass. Yeah, exactly. You know, and and everyone knows that excess excess renewable is the cheapest is the cheapest electricity. So it makes sense that they're going to be crowded around these types of situations. Here's Bitcoin sign guy. Oh. Yeah, I, I was going to just agree with that. That if even if the number is wrong, it's still likely directionally, directionally yeah. correct. Yeah. Uh, right, that's huge. Yeah, yeah that's I, what I meant to say. It's directionally correct. I, I assume. I've been uh, I've been interested in the company upstream data. Uh, yes. Lately, yeah, good good episode on uh, Stefan S G Garber. Is that Stefan Steve Barber. Barber Barber Barber. That's what it is. Yeah. Uh, he's making a uh, he a minor skid that is inside a shipping container that can be sent wherever natural gas is being drilled. And right now, you know, they're just venting this methane into the atmosphere, which is not good. Uh, and so they. I believe the skid has an engine that burns the methane, generate the electricity on the spot, and then mines it back. So I don't know. I think oil and gas companies will be crucial players in Bitcoin infrastructure in the future, much as uh, you know, aluminum companies, aluminum refining companies are helpful now to uh for those of you that don't know, aluminum refining is a highly energy-intensive process. So aluminum refineries go where there's cheap excess energy, and it allows countries that are you know, not able to export their energy, they can export refined aluminum. Mm-hmm. I think this is the case in Iceland, but I may be off on the specifics there. No, it's a very uh, very good point to make. And it's, it's again, it's going to drive... Uh, innovations in energy efficiency energy consumption efficiency and then renewable energy as well one of the arguments against coinshares uh research paper was that uh bitcoin miners are 24 7 so when the excess electricity from the renewables isn't running that's bullshit they they're use coal they're not but the, one of the reasons i bring this up is because upstream data is there's two important things about upstream data which uh bsg just mentioned is that it uses excess methane 
And that methane is worse for the environment if it's not burned. And a lot of regulations mandate that they burn it for waste. They don't even mine Bitcoin with it. They just burn it for waste. And then the second thing is those skids don't mine unless that excess methane exists. The second the second it stops venting, they stop mining. They're going on and off with cheap electricity. They want as mining hard right now mining hardware life cycle isn't that long because there's huge improvements all the time. So you're trying to like maximize as much money out of this piece of uh, computer as possible um, before it goes obsolete. But as this plateaus, the main the main cost is going to be electricity and, and they're going to want to maximize cheap electricity as much as possible and they're going to be turning it off on and on, off and on. Yeah, I'd go as far as to say that you could focus if you're a an equities investor you could focus on companies like exxon mobile uh shell baker hughes schlumberger as these would be the presumptive purchasers of these skids in the future mm-hmm. just anywhere along the oil and gas uh you know supply life chain supply chain uh these are the companies that will be implementing bitcoin mining to cut their costs and you know tighten their margins yeah it's uh no it's a beautiful thing the incentives of bitcoin are beautiful satoshi created a beautiful uh incentive system the other thing is like do you think like the venezuelan government's going to turn off their fucking miners when when the dip, when when price falls like what else are they going to do with the sanctioned oil like they're going to just keep mining yeah and, but that's for the previous conversation but i just thought about that <laughs> Also, beyond beyond spare capacity in renewables and excess byproducts of shale gas drilling, etc., also keep in mind that we have what's known as the duck curve for urban energy production. So when people are home at night uh, and they're running their heat or they're running their air, their their AC. They're using all their home appliances. The energy demand load it spikes uh, during the hours. Peak when, hours yeah. yeah, during peak hours when people are home, and uh, just regular urban power plants are left with the dilemma of, oh well, we sort of need to phase out our our generation during the day uh, when not as much energy is being consumed. With Bitcoin, they could keep their machines running at full tilt and just turn them toward their Bitcoin mine and not the not yeah. the energy grid. This is a this is a discussion and topic I jumped into thoroughly with Joe Looney, who was uh, the original creator of Rare Pepe. He's one of the original creators, uh, and he actually worked in an energy facility and described this exact scenario and. Uh, I bet there's a bunch of people in that industry thinking about doing something like this. Yeah, the duck curve. Look it up. It looks like a duck. <laughs> I love the name. Um, ramp. What is ramp? Ramp is fucking badass. What is it? The Russian anonymous marketplace. Okay. Um, okay our buddy okay. Brandon Bernstein showed this to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's like the evolution of Silk Road. They've been trying to shut it down for a while. Uh, it's Russian specific, mm-hmm. hence the name. The biggest vulnerability of a dark marketplace is shipping it. You have to get the drug shipped somewhere, uh, the merchandise shipped somewhere, and 
that's usually connected to a name, address, camera, something, you know, video, CCTV will catch you. Um, and that, that's an issue. That's, you know, on the, on the payment side, you can pay with Bitcoin and you don't have to worry about much. But on the, on the receiving side, you have an attack vector. So with Ramp, which is really fucking cool, is they hide like small parcels of drugs all around Russian cities. And when you make the purchase, they send you coordinates. So you can, you can make a purchase on this marketplace and get, get your drugs within 30 minutes, you know, 40 minutes, like right away. And, and then they like send out runners like every day to like put it in new places and whatnot. And then they have an arbitrator. If there's come some kind of dispute, the arbitrator with their whole review system and reputation system and everything. And I just think like that's, you know, like the cypherpunk future. Like it, it's, it exists now. Well, life finds a way. Yeah, easy does it, Arjun Balaji. We're looking at you. We know you're a little G-caching. <laughs> Son of a gun. <laughs> no, but it like, like I don't want to be cheesy, but life does find a way. Like in these authoritarian governments, people are finding a way to, to make markets happen. Well, we're going to have autonomous drones soon, but this is pretty fucking cool in the meantime. Yeah, it's pretty dope too. Um, yeah, so the Russian be aware anonymous... What is it? The Russian... Anonymous marketplace, marketplace, okay. aka Ramp. Yeah, we'll link to that as well. Last topic. We're not linking to the marketplace. We'll link to the article about yes, it. Yes, we'll link to the article. Actually, just while I have this platform, I have a question. If some of the audience members know anything about this, can we please have a drone to drone delivery such that we can make onion routing for you know, delivery of physical yes. objects? I think that I don't know. We need some protocol where. Uh, there's some, ch- some yeah, some chip embedded in a package in two, basically one drone can drop it off at a given coordinate and another drone can go pick it up. I think that that closes the loop in many ways for We're, us. We are well known for future business ideas and I think this may be the, the best one we've, future. Uh, we've uh, created on this podcast. There you go. Billion dollar idea, folks. So wait, any of you AI drone operators out there, here's uh, here's the million dollar cypherpunk you, future idea. You think it... It beats rentable toilets? Yeah, yeah, totally beats Boober. Poober. <laughs> <laughs> Airbnb, obviously. Poober. Um, last topic. I really like that idea, by the way. That's a good idea. Last topic. Let's get that built. Perennial scammer Dan Larimer seems like he may be moving on to a fourth scam. He's had, well, some people will say... Uh, no, it's like eighth. Six or seven. Yeah, some people will say eighth. Or eight, excuse me. Uh, his three most famous to date are BitShares, Steemit, and EOS. And uh, via the EOS communication channels, I believe it leaked that he announced that he's already working on a Bitcoin-like project. Yeah, that billion-dollar shitcoin. That's just a side hustle. Five, yeah, five billion dollar. <laughs> and this was the same. This happened like the same day that it came out that Steemit like had failed miserably. And they like fired seventy percent of their employees. Yeah, because it's. Got a centralized. So there's scammers everywhere. It. I tweeted it out months ago. I think in the beginning of the year, like any idiot dumb enough to fall for Dan Lammer's third scam deserves to get uh, what's coming to them. So uh, heed my advice this time. Don't fall for his fourth scam. I um, yeah. I mean, I just put this in here because it's fucking hilarious. Uh, Larimer is famously the person who Satoshi said, uh, you know, if, if you don't, if I don't have time, if you don't get it, I don't have time for you. Yeah, I think I believe he said. I just put uh, you the quote, but but yeah, the famous quote. You don't quote, understand it. Uh, you don't get it. I don't have to. Yeah, 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 I don't have time to explain it. It was great. It was just a great, and that he said that to Larimer, um, 
And Larry Murray, he just he just launches hype hype scam after hype scam, and then he leaves them when they're like seventy percent done. Yeah. And then moves on to the next project. You know, I joked around that in thirty years he's going to be sixty six and he's going to be on like his twenty fifth ICO and it's going to be the the most hype thing ever and people are just going to give him billions of dollars. Don't be a Larimer greater fool, freaks. Resist. Yeah, and I just want to reiterate that Multicoin post, posted a bullish thesis at eighteen dollars for EOS since like two fifty or something. <laughs> Beware, there's scammers everywhere, and uh, be careful who you take advice from. Always trust, or excuse me, always verify. Do your own research. Um, that's all the topics of this week, but I think I think we can rip off some other stuff. You guys have anything you want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, Vake had a very important topic: uh, boxers, boxers or briefs. Uh, well. That's the wrong question. It's boxers, briefs, or neither. So, so you're you're a uh, Bitcoin commando. Bitcoin commando. We're, I like that. That's a, that was BSG. We're among we're among everybody. You may not know who we are, but we exist. <laughs> I'm a I'm a boxer brief kind of guy. Nice I think it's know. a nice balance in between. Hey, Christmas is around nice the corner. Freaks. I like Everything. walking around my apartment naked though too. That's a plus. That's I, I'm uh, I'm very liberated in my apartment as well. Um, but freaks, it's Christmas time. Matt is a is a briefs guy. I, I always like fresh underwear when I was wearing them around Christmas time. So good no, gift. Just buy Bitcoin just for yourself and just hold it. Yeah, very high time preference. Let's let's get ourselves to sixty six twenty six by January first. <laughs> Otherwise, a very expensive dinner on my. Well, on we my have plate. one of the most eloquent speakers on the subject in the room. I feel like it would be a waste if we didn't get like a. A parting diatribe from from Bitcoin Sign Guy. What's on your mind these days? How have things been since we spoke in July? Things uh, are well. What do you What do you think the state of Bitcoin is right now? State of Bitcoin is strong. I, I don't know the bear markets when people have the the headspace to do what's necessary. The bull market almost is you know, impossible to do anything during it because you're just posturing for the the ramp. Ramp capital blowing the top off. <laughs> yeah, um, you optimistic or? Yeah, I'm optimistic. I th- I'm following the Vanek ETF pretty closely. I wish uh, Jan and Gabor all the best. I think they had one of their SEC no votes depart the SEC since, and I think the SEC is getting a new person. Uh, and then they also had one. I think person one commissioner changed their mind on their subject so uh things are probably looking looking up in that regard yeah and uh peter mccormick at what bitcoin did actually just interviewed the dissenting vote from that sec decision whichever one that was uh so if you freaks want to go check that out and get a little peek into the mind of the sec you can do that there um that's all i got for this week freaks anything else matt bitcoin sign guy Gabor is a badass. Yeah, I like his Twitter. Big style. fan, big fan of Gabor. Shout out to Vanak. Uh, you know, I don't. You know, don't get your panties in a bunch. Don't get your boxes in a bunch over uh, over this ETF because they've been talking about this shit since 2013. Yeah, you know, and and Bitcoin doesn't live or die based off this ETF. It will pump when the ETF and ultimately gets approved. Um, but you know, it's not something that you should really concern yourself with. You should just be excited that you have this opportunity to potentially invest in a, um, 
a brand new asset that doesn't have an ETF yet. You know, like well, that is a, a super rare situation. And, uh, you know, every day that we get without an ETF is, is a day we get ahead of all those people who will buy after the ETF. Very good point. Um, thank you, Freaks, for joining us this week. Uh, I don't know if we're going to have a show next week. We're still trying to decide. I'm going on yes, a trip. Yes, yes. I'm going on a trip. I look forward to this show every week, <laughs> so you have to. Okay, we'll make it happen. We'll make it happen. We'll probably do it on Monday. Okay, yeah, we'll do it on Monday. All right, peace and love, Freaks. <laughs>